0: good to be with you this morning, good to have the opportunity to share God's word with you and for us to hopefully this morning learn more about what God has done in providing for us those things that we not only need to sustain us in this walk of life, but also to learn about those things that he has prepared for us uh, for eternity. We are in the keep it simple series and today we are going to be talking about serving the Lord with joy and our our key thought our main word today is joy we're going to look at the biblical uh, standard the biblical expression of what joy is now Always we tend as Christians to have to deal with the culture that we live in and what the culture tells us about things compared to or versus what the scripture teaches us about things. Here's a little quote that some of you may be familiar with. You may have heard this. If you love what you do, you never work a day. Of course that's talking about our places of employment and most of you this morning or probably saying, well, I don't work there. I, I, work, I work somewhere else. But we understand the inference of that statement, and we understand that there is some validity in that, that if we're doing something that we really enjoy and that we see great benefit in, then that is not work to us. It is more of a joy to us. It is something that is pleasing to us. And so the world tells us that joy and happiness is all about things that are pleasing to us. Things that we like or things that we enjoy. The world would tell us, in order to find true joy, you need to be happy all the time. Now, if we put that in another uh, statement, we would say, if I have my way... (laughs) I'll be happy. And if I have my way all the time, then I will be joyous. Well, that would be a wonderful thing to experience, but that's not the real world that we live in, is it? And we see and understand that in the world, we understand that we usually have a lot more circumstances and situations that do not bring joy than we do those that give us joy, even by The world's standards. But what I want us to understand this morning about the biblical teaching of joy is that when the Bible talks about joy, it's talking about something that rises high above earthly joy. And so earthly joy only scratches the surface because in our culture, joy is based on things being our way. We only have joy according to the culture when things go our way. But the Bible and God's joy that He can give us and desires to give us and will give us if we will allow Him to do that, God's joy rises so high above man's joy that even when things do not go our way, even when things go against us, we still have the joy. And so this morning I hope that we will be able to draw from the scriptures this uh, understanding of what God has made a provision for and what he wants to do in our life. And so I would, uh, I would define biblical joy this morning as an inner type of soul satisfaction that overrides overcomes any difficulty and that is characterized by having peace, contentment, and happiness. Now you put all of that together and you're getting a little bit of the idea about what the Bible calls joy in the Lord. We're going to use a story in the Old Testament this morning from the book of Nehemiah. We're going to look at an experience that Nehemiah the prophet had in regards to how the Bible expresses joy. Nehemiah was an Old Testament prophet during the time that the nation of Israel had gone into captivity. And so Nehemiah was burdened about the condition of the city of Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem. And some of you may remember this uh, presentation that the church here did uh, some time ago. Uh, it's my understanding that uh, I'm I'm going to uh, refer to him as that other Manning brother, Dan. Uh, I, I could have called him up this morning to got him to autograph this and got him on stage like uh, you know the Mannings are always uh, two getting uh, to be in the spotlight and one not so much. But uh, this presentation tells us about the story of Nehemiah and how God had given him a burden to go back to Jerusalem and to reestablish the city, to reestablish the worship there. The city was in ruins. It had been destructed, uh, destroyed and the enemies of, uh, of Israel had continued to take advantage of those circumstances. And so Nehemiah had this great burden. To do the Lord's work there that the Lord had given to him. He prayed about that. And in his prayer, the Lord began to work and to put things together. And so the Lord gave Nehemiah favor from the king, from the ruler. And the ruler gave Nehemiah the opportunity to go back and to rebuild the wall. Not only did he give him permission, but he also told him, I'll supply the." Materials that you need. So the building materials, the things that he was going to need for the project, he, he gave them things to him. And so Nehemiah put his plan together and he headed to Jerusalem to do the work. Got to Jerusalem and saw how terrible the conditions were. In the book it says, Oh me, oh my, number one. And that's kind of the way life is a lot of times, whenever we have an opportunity or we see a place or the Lord even gives us a place of service and we begin to try to do something for the Lord, we figure, uh uh-oh, here's something I wasn't counting on. This is a bigger job than I thought it would be. And so the first thing that Nehemiah and the workers experienced there was how big the job was. But they Prayed to the Lord and asked for the Lord's help and guidance. And and things began to move forward. And so they got started with the project. Well, of course, it wasn't going to be sufficient that the devil would only bring one problem up. Because then some of the other folks said well how are we going to do this this is an impossible task and so Nehemiah began to experience that those people that he was counting on to help out to be a part of the project they wasn't so much on board and ready to put their backs to the work and so here again we see Nehemiah he's undertaking he's in the Lord's service he's doing what the Lord wants him to do he's doing it for the Lord's honor and glory but yet He's experiencing difficulty and struggle and disappointment. You're saying, "Well, Brother Roger, this doesn't really sound like a sermon about joy. We'll get there. We'll get there. And so Nehemiah challenges the people to work. And then the critics come along. And that's oh me number three. Those that would, uh, that would cast doubt and those that would come with negative attitudes and those that would be critics And those that would say, well, you don't even know what you're doing. Y'all build that wall a fox runs across it. It's going to fall down. But yet, they committed to the work and continued. And then those critics and those that were taking advantage of the condition of the city of Jerusalem in its broken down condition came with threats against Nehemiah and the workers. And said, we'll tear down anything that you do. It'll never stand. You'll never keep the enemies out. And so the workers there at the wall, they worked with their trials, their tool in one hand, building the wall, and their sword in the other, so to speak. As they built the wall, and as they did what the Lord had called Nehemiah to do, and as they we accomplishing the task. In Nehemiah, the sixth chapter, there's two verses that give us this statement. So on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, They were frightened and humiliated, and they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. And so the work was accomplished, and Nehemiah uh, continued there in assigning individuals to take the positions of leadership and responsibility. And so the people were reestablished in Jerusalem, and the city was reestablished. And that was so important because this city is the one place on the entire earth that God's name has been tied to and linked to as this is the city of God. This is the place that God was to be recognized and worshipped. And so when it was in ruins, it shed a lot of disrespect and doubt was cast over the name of the Lord and His ability to sustain His people and fulfill His promises. And the reestablishment of that brought respect and reverence to the name of the Lord again as the people realized that that was a work that was more than they could do. It was a work that required God's hand. And so the work was accomplished that really brings us to our verse this morning that was read from the psalm as our uh, scripture reading in our service. This psalm is a celebration message of those people that went back to the city. Those that re-inhabited Jerusalem. And so in Psalms 126, putting this psalm in that context, said that when the Lord brought his people back, the exiles back to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang with joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert, and those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. These verses and and this account in the Scripture give us just a snapshot of what biblical joy is and what God wants to do in the life of every individual. He wants in the life of every individual for them to come to the place of realization that they can have within them something that is not just an emotional expression of a moment of satisfaction at what has occurred in their favor, but an inner power and strength and peace and comfort that will be with them through any and every difficult situation and circumstance of their life. And so the people that rebuilt the wall, those that reestablished Jerusalem, through the difficulty and the struggle that they had to endure as they served the Lord, the results that comes out of that is this tremendous joy that they experienced in seeing what the Lord had done and understanding and knowing that the Lord had let them be a part of His work. And so you see, joy is directly related to God's purpose and God's plan that includes us. And that brings us as individuals into the kingdom of God in its work and its success and its joy, and its glory. So we look at the story of Nehemiah, and we say, man, that's a wonderful story. But the big question for us as individuals is, uh, how, how can we be like them? How can I know? How can I experience This kind of joy that we see talked about throughout the scriptures. How can I serve with joy? Or let me phrase that a different way. How can I find joy? Because that's really what we're looking for, isn't it? We're looking for joy. and Of course, the sad thing with us as sinful, carnal creatures is a lot of times we look in the wrong places. And that's one of the reasons that so many of our ministries here at Holland Chapel are so important. Is that we're reaching out and we're ministering and we are redirecting people that were deceived and misled by the lies of Satan and the lies of the world to think that they could find joy and contentment and peace somewhere else that brought destruction and that brought pain and that brought suffering and brought everything except joy. Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the price to cover sin so that everyone could come out of whatever mess that is that they were deceived and led into and they can find joy in God's purpose and in His Son. You see, that's the power that the people we read about in the Scripture found. When we read about people like Paul who preached and witnessed and got beaten, and got thrown into prison. And he said, well I can't go preach. I'll just write him a letter. <laughs> he said, I, I, I've, I've got to continue to tell people about what it is. He had joy even in his suffering. Peter and James were beaten for preaching and for testifying about Christ. And they put him in jail and they sang praises. And they witnessed And then they were told, y'all got to shut up. Y'all can't do this. We'll let y'all out of jail if y'all will be quiet. And they said, we can't be quiet. We can't do anything except tell people about how great our God is and how wonderful our Savior is and how Jesus is our Messiah. We see James as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem in in later days from the works of Nehemiah. But James wrote to the believers, consider it pure joy when you fall into trials and temptations and struggles and persecutions. Because you know that these things work to your blessing and to your benefit. We see in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, that great list of what I refer to as the heroes of faith. All those individuals listed there made reference to there that endured the struggles and the difficulties and the sufferings. But through their faith, they also experienced the powerful presence of the Lord and the joy of serving the Lord. So we see in the examples of the Scripture, and we see more so in the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ, than anyone else. During his ministry, he taught his disciples to be servants in order that they might find the joy. He said, whoever will be first among you, speaking to the twelve, must be the servant of all. On the day that Jesus washed their feet, he said, Do you realize what I have done? Me, being your master, I have become your servant. That's the way you should treat each other. We see recorded in the book of John that Jesus said to his followers, As I have loved you, Love one another that way. Whenever the Lord was trying to help Peter get some things figured out and straightened out in his ministry and in his life, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, oh, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And the Lord said, "Uh, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I love you. How did the Lord respond each time? He said, Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. That's what I've asked you to do. That's what I have purposed. That's what my plan is for you to feed my sheep. Be busy. Be serving. Be doing the Lord's work. Paul, whenever he wrote to the Philippian church, speaking to them about Christ, spoke of him as the one who came from glory. And took on the very nature of a servant to serve mankind, to meet our need, to become our Savior. And to take care of the debt of sin that we had, that we could no way cover ourselves. And so when we, we look for examples, there's no greater example than us for us to look at than Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is set forth as the example of joy, experiencing joy. And we understand that Jesus suffered more than anyone else, that Jesus gave up more than anyone else, that Jesus has done more than anyone else. But listen to this passage and listen to what Jesus was doing in making those sacrificial, service-oriented decisions of his life. Chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, and that's referring back to the previous chapter, and the list of all of those that I gave reference to a few just a moment ago. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, we are given that instruction for us as individuals, to kind of get our uh, get our mind straight, and, and and to get our commitment and our understanding straight, to realize that after chapter eleven, we realize that people can serve God, people can do what God has called them to do, respite of whatever type of opposition might come against them, if they will just choose to. Serve. So we see all of those expressions uh, that uh, come from the lives and the testimonies of those people of faith. So we have that given to us. We understand and realize that there are things that stand in our way. Things that need to be set aside. Things that need to be stripped off. Because they are not compatible with Christian life. They're not compatible with the call that we have been given to serve. So we see here this this part of the text. And then we see this message. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. You know, that's one of our quickest questions. Well, how... Brother Roger, can I do that? I don't think I could deal with difficulty like they dealt with difficulty. How did they deal with that difficulty? They kept their eyes on Jesus. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects or who started and completed our faith. Because of the joy, listen to this, this is the heart of the text and this is the heart of understanding biblical joy and what it can be for us in our lives. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all of the hostility he endured from sinful men. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Understanding and seeing that what Jesus did, he looked forward to the joy that was before him in his service and in his commitment to the Father's plan and to God's purpose. And you so you see, whenever he left heaven, whenever he came and took on humanity, whenever he came to experience our experience, So that he could be our sacrifice. And he could pay our sin debt. He wasn't looking at the burden. He experienced the burden. In the garden, you remember, he prayed, Father, if there can be any way, any way, let this cup pass from me. That was Jesus in his humanity experiencing to a greater degree, everything that we would ever know and experience in way of the burden of sin and its effect on us. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And we see Jesus committed himself to the Father's plan for the joy that was set before him of knowing That God had a plan, the Father had a plan, that it was going to be fulfilled, it was going to be accomplished in what Jesus was doing in coming and dying as our Savior. And you see, that is the pattern and that is the example for us as well. You see, we have our peace, we have our strength, we have our commitment, our contentment, our happiness, we have our joy in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done and what it means for us in His provision for us. To help us and to strengthen us as we walk through life here on earth, but more so to look forward to the provision of all things eternal that He has prepared for us. You see, biblical joy is not an emotion. Biblical joy is a spiritual experience. It is a result of the Spirit of God working and fellowshipping within us and our spirit. We might refer to it as a fruit of the Spirit, a result of spiritual things working in our lives. And we can experience this kind of joy and freedom And victory by choosing the things of God, by disciplining ourselves, and by exercising spiritual disciplines in our lives. We might think today that, well, you know, the world has a kind of joy that you see people that seem to be happy. Typically, they're happy because of a certain circumstance that will pass shortly. The people that know true joy are the ones that are happy and they experience contentment, peace, strength, and joy in spite of the circumstances. If you do not have in your life, if you do not have within your spirit, within your soul, if you do not have, a strength and a peace, an assurance that things are well and will be well in God's plan and God's purpose, let me ask you this morning to consider where you stand in your relationship with the Lord and where you stand in your position in regards to Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus as the solution To all things sin. Is your faith in him? Are you looking to the world to answer the questions? Or are you looking to the Lord Jesus Christ? He's the one who came. He's the one who paid on Calvary the debt of sin. He's the one who arose from the grave, victorious, conquering sin in order that we can have victory. And the only one that I can point you to today that can bring this kind of powerful joy into your life is Jesus. Turn your eyes on Jesus, and he'll make the difference. Father, God, as we come to you this morning and ask your blessings in the study and consideration of your scripture, bless with your spirit's guidance and conviction this morning. Our hearts draw us to you. Lord, let us see and understand where we need to be more committed and more faithful and trusting in you and your purpose and your plan. Allow us, Lord, to to realize that joy is in you. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that has not yet confessed themselves a sinner and come to you seeking forgiveness and taking Jesus Christ as their Savior, My prayer is today they will understand this provision you've made for them and they will choose Jesus and they will experience the joy that comes in that decision, in that choice. Bless in these things, Lord, for your honor and your glory. Amen.